RD Talks, brought to you by Reader's Digest Australia. The Daniela Garcia Story by Anne Mullins. It's hard to imagine a challenge more extreme than the one that befell Daniela Garcia. But the 29-year-old has reclaimed her life. This is a happy story, she says. She walks confidently through the halls of the Children's Rehabilitation Institute in Santiago, Chile. Parents here with their children smile at the young doctor in recognition, especially when they see her hands, or more precisely, the metal devices that take the place of her hands. Daniela Garcia doesn't mind the stares of her young patients, many of whom have serious disabilities. She knows their conditions mean they too will need to find their own brand of courage. She isn't bothered when they ask, why do you have hooks for hands? If they notice the prosthesis that take the place of her legs, questions about those are welcome too. I like it when they ask, says Daniela. It creates a bond between us. Daniela, 29, is well known in Santiago, indeed throughout Chile. She was named one of the country's Women of the Year in 2006 and 2007. Her book about her experience, Elegie Vivir, I Choose to Live, was a bestseller. But she's a reluctant celebrity. She does not want to be known only as the girl who had the awful accident. Nor will she allow what happened to her to be described as a tragedy. This is a happy story, she says. Until October 30, 2002, Daniela Garcia led the comfortable and largely trouble-free life of a young woman growing up in Chile's educated upper class. Her father, Christian Garcia, was a paediatric radiologist and a professor. Her mother, Leona Palama, was a dentist who had taken time away from her career to raise Daniela, her twin brother Christian, and her three younger brothers. An excellent student, Daniela was in medical school at one of the oldest and most prestigious universities in Chile. At 22, she was in the final month of her fourth year, about halfway to her medical degree. Her boyfriend, Ricardo Strube, was studying for a business degree. The two loved the outdoors and spent their spare time riding bikes and playing sports together. The hot days of the Southern Hemisphere's summer were approaching, along with final exams. So were the annual intermedical school games, a tradition in which almost all medical students in the country take part. It's a hotly contested event, with schools vying to bring back the most trophies from four days of volleyball, basketball, swimming, tennis and soccer competitions. This year it was being held in Temuco, about 650 kilometres south of Santiago. Daniela wasn't sure she wanted to go. She was worried about an upcoming dermatology exam, and the trip down to Temuco would be expensive and long, more than nine hours overnight by train. Besides, for some reason, she felt a gnawing apprehension about the trip. But her classmates badgered her to join them. They needed her soccer prowess, and finally she relented. When Daniela arrived at the train station, though, she didn't like what she saw. To accommodate the hundreds of students heading to Temuco, the train system had brought old passenger rail cars back onto the line. The coaches had dirty windows, peeling paint and broken and burnt out lights. Relax, she told herself. Train travel is safe. As the train got underway, a few students pulled out guitars and began to sing. Dance with us, some friends urged Daniela. But tonight she didn't feel like it. She stayed in her seat, peering through the darkening night at the passing landscape. Then, around 10pm, a little more than an hour into the trip, two friends asked Daniela to walk with them to the other cars to see if they knew any of the other students on board. 
The lights overhead were not working and it was hard to see as the group moved between the cars, one friend in front of her and another behind. What Daniela could never have known was that the walkway that typically covers the gap between the couplings of the coaches was not in place. Her tall friend Diego, with his long legs, stepped easily over the opening. But as Daniela followed him, the train went around a sweeping curve and the gap opened even wider. She took a step and felt herself falling through the air. To her friends, one minute Daniela was with them and the next she was gone. A passenger having a smoke at the side of the coach said, Hey, that girl just fell. As if waking up from a disorienting dream, Daniela found herself lying in the middle of the tracks on a dark night. She felt no pain, but something warm and sticky was on her face, blood from a small gash over her left eye. She moved her left hand to wipe the hair out of her eyes. Nothing happened. She tried again and it was as if her arm just fanned the air. Perplexed, she raised her head and looked. What she saw sent a shock of horror through her body. Her hand wasn't there. From halfway down her forearm, everything was gone. She looked to her right. Her other forearm and hand had been severed too. She tried to move and for the first time felt a surge of pain. Daniela doesn't like to remember what she saw next. Her left leg was amputated between her hip and her knee. Her right leg was missing from just below the knee. The realisation that she had four severed limbs was almost too much to endure, but as a medical student she knew she must not panic. Her blood loss would be massive, she realised, but another train could come any minute. She had to get off the tracks and find help soon or she would die. She was lying in a spot where the railroad tracks curved sharply. On one side was a tall hedge, on the other a farmer's field. In the distance she saw the lights of what looked like a petrol station by a highway. Perhaps she could reach it if she crawled. Somehow, despite her injuries, she rolled herself off the track so that she was lying in the gap between the north and southbound rail lines. But she could go no farther. She began to yell, Help me! Please help me! A farm worker named Ricardo Morales was taking a stroll, enjoying a cigarillo in the warm night air. His wife wouldn't allow him to smoke in the house. Morales had been beside the tracks when the train packed with students rattled by, their singing floating on the air. Now, hearing Daniela yell, help me, he ran towards her. Don't move, I'll get help, he told Daniela, and started running towards the petrol station where there was a public telephone. Even with the sketchiest of details about the accident, paramedic Victor Solis didn't hold out much hope of finding the victim alive. Arriving just five minutes after the call, he quickly followed Morales to the tracks where fellow paramedic Patricio Herrera gathered more supplies. A pack of wild dogs was hovering menacingly near Daniela. Solace yelled and waved his arms, shooing them away as he ran up beside her. She was moaning, but astonishingly, still lucid. To his amazement, she began to rattle off her name, her parents' names, their phone numbers, and the phone numbers of her uncles, also doctors. Shh, be quiet, stay calm, he said as he knelt by her head. Herrera and two other paramedics came running down the tracks. Is she dead? Herrera yelled to his partner. Am I dead? Daniela wondered. Maybe I am. I am not dead, she yelled, startling Herrera with the strength of her voice. The team worked quickly, staunching the flow of blood with tourniquets, then starting an IV. Suddenly they heard a rumbling and felt the rails vibrating. A train was coming. It wasn't safe to stay, but they didn't have time to lift her out of the way. We must go, said Solace. We will come right back. 
don't leave me, Daniela cried as the ambulance team darted to safety. She felt an enormous blast of wind as the train roared almost over her. It seemed to go on forever. As soon as it cleared, the paramedics ran back, relieved to find her still alive. Eleven minutes after arriving at the site, they placed Daniela in the ambulance. They reached the hospital a few minutes later. Am I going to be okay? Daniela kept asking. The stricken looks on the nurses' faces as they turned away without answering filled her with fear. Finally, in the elevator up to the operating room, she saw a gowned doctor with kind eyes and a beard. Am I going to be okay? she asked once again, searching his face. He held her eyes, smiled and said, You are going to be just fine. For the first time since the accident, Daniela could relax. I have done everything that I could, she thought. She closed her eyes. The call to the Garcia home came just after 11pm. Daniela's twin brother answered. Her mother heard him cry out. Daniela's father was volunteering in a clinic for the homeless when Leonor called him to tell him that the hospital worker said they must come right away, that Daniela's injuries were serious. Daniela's boyfriend, Ricardo, had also received a call, this one from friends on the train. He raced to the hospital where he joined the family in their vigil. The crushing amputations by the train wheels made it impossible to reattach Daniela's limbs, but the surgeons did their best to clean and set the wounds for the best chance of healing. Afterwards, Daniela remained in a medically induced coma for two days. When she woke up in the ICU, she saw Ricardo's face. Will you help me fix myself? Yes, he said, but in his heart he wondered if he could. As Daniela lay in her hospital bed, it sometimes felt as if her missing feet and hands were on fire or as if she'd stuck a finger in an electric socket. The phenomenon is called phantom pain. It was as though the circuitry of her brain and nervous system, in trying to cope with her lost limbs, had gone haywire. Drugs did little to relieve the agony. Eventually, she found that meditation and an alternative therapy called Reiki helped her tone down and control the nerve responses, at least most of the time. Meanwhile, her father searched for the best place for Daniela to undergo the extensive rehabilitation she would need. He settled on Moss Rehab at Albert Einstein Healthcare Network, just outside Philadelphia in the US. Daniela arrived on a snowy Saturday in February. She would be there for six weeks, learning how to walk, dress, feed herself, and manage the other activities of daily living with artificial limbs. Just four days after Daniela's arrival, her physical therapist, Maria Lucas, brought in a set of artificial legs. Daniela thought the simple forms of plastic and metal were the most beautiful things she had ever seen. After one leg was strapped on, Lucas helped her to an upright position. Daniela felt a surge of joy. For the first time since her accident, she was able to interact with another person eye to eye. Her athleticism and determination immediately began to pay dividends. Maria was holding me and I said, please let me go, Daniela remembers. Lucas resisted. After all, it usually takes a long time for someone to learn to stand with prosthetic legs. Finally, though, she gingerly released her grip. Sure enough, Daniela stood. Now Lucas knew she could push Daniela, and Daniela kept pushing herself. If Maria told me to walk to there, I would walk double the amount. I remember how tired I would get. Sometimes I did not even make it to dinner. I just went to sleep. It wasn't just her body that was recovering. Daniela formed a special bond with the head of her unit at Moss, Dr. Alberto Esquinazzi. Not only did he speak Spanish, but he had lost his own right hand in a laboratory explosion. 
In its place was a silver hook that he used unselfconsciously. It gave her hope. Soon after the accident, she had promised her classmates that she'd return to medical school. Now, that dream began to seem realistic. She learned how to use the muscles of her back attached to cables to open and close the hooks of her hands. She became so adept that she could deftly apply eye makeup, knit, and even pick up a single hair on a pant leg. With every milestone in recovery came some of the most intense happiness she had ever experienced. Yet the team at Moss couldn't help but worry that Daniela was heading for a crash. Dr. Esquinazzi knew that amputees were often excited by new technologies to replace their missing limbs, only to experience a letdown when they realised the limitations of what medicine could offer. Indeed, Daniela shed some tears as she came to terms with her new reality. The biggest shock for me was when I realised that things would never be the same as they had before the accident, she says. No matter how good my prosthesis were, they would never really be my legs or my hands. That was difficult. Dr. Esquinazzi didn't sugarcoat her situation. You will always miss your hands. Nothing we do here will ever be like what you lost. But you have a choice. You can hide in a corner, or you can rise to the moment and do the best you can with what you have. Daniela knew that he was right. And she held on to something else Dr. Esquinazzi had said. Your life will be what you do with it. I decided that if there was any limit to my recovery, it would have to be determined by my body not by my mind, she says. After her six weeks at Moss Rehab, Daniela flew home. Ricardo Strube was waiting at the airport. She walked towards him on her new artificial legs, a huge smile across her face. Almost exactly a year after her accident, she re-entered medical school, determined she would receive no special treatment. She was going to be a rehabilitation physician like Dr. Esquinazzi. In September 2007, in front of 300 family members and friends, Daniela and Ricardo got married, saying their vows and dancing the night away. And last year, Daniela returned to Moss, this time not as a patient, but doctor. Her six-month stint there was the final step in her training. Soon after she arrived, she gave a talk to an amputee support group, telling the story of her accident and its aftermath. The audience could see her hooks, but because she no longer walks with a limp, Many didn't realise she is a quadruple amputee. People were blown away, Lucas says. Daniela has an unbelievable ability to wholeheartedly accept the present moment. She never focuses on what was lost and she never lets her injuries define her. I have seen many patients, Lucas continues, and we always try to teach them how to reintegrate into the world. But Daniela taught us more about how to live life than we ever taught her. Dr. Daniela Garcia-Paloma, now 35, continues to work as a paediatric physiatrist in Santiago, Chile. She is the first person with a quadruple amputation to graduate from medical school. Garcia credits Dr. Esquinazzi and the amputation rehabilitation team at Moss Rehab with having inspired her to pursue life with such confidence and optimism. For more RD Talks, visit readersdigest.com.au. Brought to you by Reader's Digest Australia, 